Hello and welcome to Click Click Bang Bang, a photography podcast. We are back, still in ISO, but we're back for episode 15 and I'm your host, Toby. And I'm Mez. Hey Mez, you're looking pretty fine and dandy today. Where, where are we going? What are we doing? What's happening? Babe, we're going to the movies. We're going to the goddamn Oscars. Yeah, I love the movies. The Academy Award... For best picture. You're impossible. <laughs> Come on. La La Land. This, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won best picture. So we thought it would be a really cool and fun idea to do an episode about our favorite movies and documentaries that are based around photography because there's so many good ones. We're just going to go through some, give our little like reviews. Oh my God, we're a movie review show now, Tobes. <laughs> We are multitasking, but of course, our little podcast is in fact uh, not named after a movie, but named um, kind of in association with the first movie that uh, that you're going to talk to us about, Mitch. Yes. Yeah, so the first movie we're going to talk about, which we've both seen and we both quite enjoy, but haven't seen for a while, I might add, so our memories are a bit rusty, <laughs> is The Bang Bang Club. And look, we're called Click Click Bang Bang, but we're not called ba- Click Click Bang Bang after The Bang Bang Club. It's just a general term, Bang Bang, Click Click, come on, guys, come on. <laughs> Use your imagination. But this film is, uh, I don't know what year it came out, I'll check that in a second, but it's a film about the actual Bang Bang Club, quote-unquote, who were a group of four, sometimes five or six, but mainly uh, solid four dudes who were photojournalists from Johannesburg. So they were South African. <laughs> and they were very prominent in the in the very early, um, late 80s, I would say, to the early mid-90s. Yeah. And they were sort of very well known for capturing sort of the final days of apartheid. A lot of, like, they would travel around um, the continent. Like, they went to Sudan and they captured, like, the famine there. So they were kind of war photographers, conflict photographers, kind of like adrenaline junkie-esque photojournalists. Yeah, definitely. I think from memory the the movie starts with uh, Ryan Philippe who's who plays uh, one of the main protagonists um just doing some crazy shit with his camera and and trying to, you know, basically trying to get get ahead in the, in the game and and almost like an initiation process for this whole thing that these guys ended up becoming but they just had no fear they would just go you know into the most dangerous situations to get to get that shot really yeah and it was almost like the bolder quote-unquote and brasher you were the more kind of respect you got within that group Mm. it was sort of like very I don't want to say toxic masculinity but (laughs) it was very much like adrenaline junkie get the shot no matter what like the more dangerous, the better yeah. kind of vibe of that group, yeah. but not in taking away from the fact that they were actually quite phenomenal journalists and captured a lot of, you know, hardcore conflicts going on at the time. Yeah, definitely. And the group included um, Kevin Carter, who was one of the uh, very famous, uh, very famous um, members of, of the Bang Bang Club, and you know, he, he came to a, a kind of a very sad end didn't he yeah well he was probably the most successful quote-unquote out of the four of them he won the Pulitzer Prize in 1993 for a very famous photo that most people will know which is of the the sort of skeletal African child on the ground with the um the rate the 
a falcon, I think it is. A vulture. Yeah, I think it's a vulture. You're right. The vulture in the background that's kind of overlooking the child like prey. And, you know, this child is very skinny. It, it's shot in Sudan and it's of the, the sort of famine crisis at the time. Yeah. So he shot that and then it won the Pulitzer Prize in 1993. And then like six months later, he actually he committed suicide, Kevin yeah. Carter. Yeah. And there's some speculation that he he committed suicide off the, as a result of the death of uh, one of the other members of the Bang Bang Club, who was um, allegedly still should be said um, killed by a, a, a peacekeeping force that was um, yeah friendly same, fire crossfire yeah, in the same same destination, which is which is pretty sad. And I think Kevin Carter was only 33 or something like that when he when he died. Yeah, look, I think war photographers don't seem to have a good life expectancy to be honest. No, definitely not. It's, you can kind of see see why when, when they put what they put themselves through. But I remember uh, many years ago I did a I did a photojournalism course at um, the ACP in Sydney. Oh. And that image that image of the child and the vulture was one of the first ones that they showed us and I remember just Thing, just remembering how haunting that that shot was. It is. Just, it is a very haunting shot. If anyone knows that image, they also know you know the fate of of the photographer as well. And it's it's just yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's just really sad. Maybe it is really so. sad, and it's actually quite a sad movie. But it's kind of like a strange movie because it's like so action packed, yeah. and it's so high drama, and it's like deeply sad at the same time. It is a really good watch because it does give you. I think a pretty accurate depiction of those guys at that time because it is based on a book that two of the guys wrote in 2000, uh, which was called The Bang Bang Club, Snapshots from a Hidden War. It was released in 2000. And sort of the movie kind of comes off the back of that. And it kind of also tells that story of the dilemma that many of these photographers get themselves into when they find themselves in situations where they feel like they should be taking photos but they should also potentially be helping in some way but you know it's that's something that I think you know if you follow a lot of conflict photographers or or see you know stories about them many if not all of them struggle with that constantly because that's yeah you know such a difficult thing to do to put yourself in in those places for the purposes of you know getting news to the rest of the world but you know also having to kind of yeah stand there with a camera when you could potentially be helping to save someone's life no definitely and I know that with that particular image of Kevin Carter's there was a lot of that kind of backlash after that photo came out and rose to such prominence a lot of people came out and said well did you help what did you do blah 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 and and that's why I guess I really like the movie because it does bring up that conversation of because there is, there's characters within the movie where they're like saying to these photographers, well, why aren't you helping? How are you helping? And there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of ethical questions surrounding photojournalism in that way. And then you kind of go down this rabbit hole of, you know, we could do actually do like a whole episode on this actually about like, <laughs> okay, well, if you help, then how do you help? And you can't help everyone. So yeah. are you helping by simply being there and taking record? Yeah. But then, you know, the other major issue that we've, that I think the movie brings up as well is about, you know, the white male voice capturing black African stories yes. and how that can be very inaccurate, which I know we've spoken about before, Toby. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a very white male dominated group um who were you know coming fresh out of apartheid in south africa and 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 taking all these images but um there are moments in the in the film where 
you do see uh, a lot of empathy between um, yeah. Greg Marinovich in particular, who's played by Ryan Philippe, and the subjects of his images. And there's this whole kind of process of uh, of him trying to justify what he's doing and, you know, these poor guys who have, have been hammered by apartheid coming out of it and sort of telling him that he's, you know, or he's just doing, you know, what the what the white powers are telling him to do and, and that kind of, you know, Marinovich trying to justify, no, that's not the case, I'm doing this for you and blah, 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 blah. And there's lots of, there's a few little um, back and forths like that in the film, which really makes you think oh, about yeah. how difficult it must have been for those guys. Totally. And I guess like um, that kind of leads into our next film, which is one of your choices, Toby. And I actually haven't seen it. And it's a documentary called McCullen. And I believe it's about your absolute favourite photographer. <laughs> My hero. Don McCullen. My hero, Your Don. hero. It is. And a, ver- a very well-known photojournalist. He is extremely well-known uh, war photographer in particular. So Don McCullen, for those of you that, that don't know, is a performer, uh, he's, a, he's a British um, photographer who began his career um, in, in London. He grew up in, uh, this is all in the documentary, obviously, he grew up in a real rough part of, of London in the East End and he used to hang out with gangs and all this all sorts of other stuff oh. and um you know back in the day this was you know not long after the second world war so it would have been in the 50s i guess and uh he was growing up as a teenager in these kind of beaten down neighborhoods just trying to keep himself out of trouble really yeah right he started just taking photos of some of the some of the gangs that he used to hang out with there and there's one photo um which became famous after he did obviously it wasn't famous at the time of this East End gang kind of um, standing on the framework of a dilapidated building in in East London, all looking, you know, posing all cool and stuff. And it's just the most epic shot. And I think he was only about... 15 or so when he took took the image but it's just God, it's, overachiever. A, it's an absolute cracker and it just you just look at it and you, you can you can sort of see a million stories in there through each of the each of the people that are in the in the photo anyway off the back of that he the documentary sort of takes you through his um progression into into newspapers and, and photojournalism and his first kind of major conflict assignment which was the civil war in in cyprus between the turks and the greeks back in the oh just just a simple yeah, first assignment back in the 60s and off the back of that he um his images were so uh so well taken and and so uh, impartial i guess uh that he he seems like a very empathetic photographer do you know what i mean he kind of made a name for himself by not sort of um not straying to one side or the other of of whatever political right. conflict that he was he was covering, and from from Cyprus he went to various other places. But his his most famous body of work was from the Vietnam War in uh, in the late late sixties and early seventies. And he's he took a picture which I think is called the haunt the the haunted um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically a picture of a. American soldier just with his gun between his legs, just looking like absolutely like gone, you know, mentally. Shell-shocked. Yeah, mentally yeah. gone. And he was actually shell-shocked at the time, and so was Don McCullen. They were in the Battle of Hue, which was one of the one of the biggest um, battles in the Vietnam War. It was part of the Tet Offensive, if you know the history of the, of the war. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, he threw himself into it and and got some incredible photos. And he also uh, covered the famines in in Africa and various other. Gosh, he's been everywhere. Yeah, he's done an awful lot. But one of the things that that comes across in the documentary, which is w- one of the reasons I found it so interesting, but also why I really am drawn to him as a as a photographer, is he's clearly affected by what he's seen, but he mm-hmm. is also very good at understanding um, that dilemma that we talked about earlier where, you know, whether he should be taking photos or whether he should be helping. And he, d- he describes many right. um, instances in Vietnam where he he felt compelled to put his camera down and assist with, you know, right. carrying, you know, people onto trucks or jeeps or whatever the situation may have been. And never really um, having a problem with with that, and never feeling like, oh shit, I've missed the shot. You know, I shouldn't have done that. He was, mm. he seems mm. to have this clear understanding of of what to do and when to do it. Um, but that's not to say that he hasn't suffered, you know, some sort of PTSD in the in the line of his work, as he, he certainly has. And um, yeah. the, the end of the documentary sort of talks about him now, and he's in his mid late seventies now, and. He's turned. I think I've mentioned this in the, in previous episode. He's turned now to just shooting um, black and white landscape photography in the in the English countryside. <laughs> yeah, so it's you know you couldn't go. Mate, from, you got to decompress somehow. Yeah, yeah, couldn't have gone from from one extreme to to the other really, and just yeah. He sounds like a really interesting guy. I think I'm going to have to watch that one because I don't know too much about him, but everything you tell me about him, I just like want to know more. <laughs> It kind of leads us nicely into our next one, Miz, which is... We're like, I know we're a bit obsessed with war photographers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's everyone's going to know this. It's Jim, the James Foley story. Oh, my the, God, The documentary yeah. about, about the, the unfortunately ill-fated photo-slash-video journalist Jim Foley who was beheaded by ISIL live on television yeah. in... Oh, my God, what year was it, Toby? 2016, that was. 2016. Yeah. Seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It does. But this documentary, I found it really interesting and I liked the fact that it was made by a friend of his and with the cooperation of his family. So there's like interviews with his brother in there and his parents and stuff like that. So I thought it was like a, I thought it was a really kind of honest and heartfelt look, not just at what happened to him, but like about him and his life and how he got to be where, you know, he was and the type of character that he had. Yeah, he was a, he seemed like a really cool dude, actually, James Foley. And oh, yeah. Brian Oakes, who's the director and his, his childhood friend, um, sort of talks about the family and how he, he, he wouldn't have made the film if it wasn't for the input of the family. There's one scene. Yeah. Um, I remember, and I haven't seen it for a good many years, but I remember, I remember the scene where his brother talks about how he found out about um, Jim dying. Basically, like he found out oh. from watching it on the news, and he sort of tells that story oh. of you know not having her. Like obviously, he knew he was missing and all the rest of it, and he'd, I think he'd been missing yeah. for, for two years before he popped up in his orange fatigues and was yeah, killed. Yeah, yeah, he'd been yeah he'd been captured TV. for quite some time. Yeah, and his brother tells that story of how, you know, that's not the what, not obviously not the way you want to find find out about your 
no. your brother's execution, as it were. And the other thing that really sticks with me from that film is the is the tales of his fellow hostages and how they how they talk about Jim Foley as this incredibly um, calm and yes. just amazing. Uh, like he he helped Gentle. a lot of them get through their captivity and yeah not stress and not fear um you know what may be coming to them and it just sounded like he was the most incredible human being and just really able to yeah to read rooms and understand when people were needed a little bit of help really and i think like a lot of the time when you think of kind of war photographers and and hardcore kind of photojournalists like that you think of them in a certain way like you know maybe brash you know adrenaline junkie you know very forthright whatever but he really came across as just a very gentle empathetic kind of soul yeah absolutely which didn't seem to match you know the job but yeah <laughs> clearly it helped him in many ways because he got to you know get closer to people and 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 stuff like that maybe it helped him deal with it a bit better but i don't know i'm sure he had ptsd as well oh and look who knows how he would have been feeling when he got dragged out you know to be to be killed i mean you can only hope that his uh his calm nature helped helped him you know not suffer in those you know those awful few moments before he was he was he was put to death but um yeah incredible documentary yeah. and and incredible oh, so good um incredible stories from everyone that really crossed paths with him during his career as a photographer and um yeah highly highly recommend the event with the second most recognition in recent American history after 9-11. There are 15 European hostages who are alive. I wish we'd negotiated. I wish we'd started sooner. This is Jim Foley reporting from downtown Benghazi. Like our next film is another documentary and this one we both had on our list. And for me, this documentary, I saw this documentary when I was first starting out in photography and it's called Born Into Brothels. I love this one. Oh my God, I love it. It's kind of like, it is sort of sad, but it is very fun and funny, uplifting movie. And for those who haven't seen it, highly recommend it. It's um, it's about this documentary photographer called Zana Brisky and she sort of was taken to Calcutta in uh, I think the early 00s and she was sort of starting to photograph the you know the red light district of Calcutta and trying to like gain access to photograph the prostitutes in that area and one thing she sort of realized while she was you know hanging out in the area and trying to gain access was there was so many children (laughs) like of the prostitutes like they all have like you know, two, three, four, five, six children each, right? And just the the children running around and playing and wanting to talk to her and hang off her and meet her and hang out and all that kind of stuff. And so she thought, okay, well, what can I do? And she actually started a little photography program with some of the local kids in the red light district. And she taught them sort of like the basics of photography, gives them little sort of point and shoot film cameras and gets them to photograph their world and their life in the red light district of Calcutta. Yeah, and how good were the results of that? Just phenomenal. Exactly. Exactly. The the results from these kids is it's outstanding some of the work. And these kids are young. They're like 
five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, around that age range. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the work that they produced was just outstanding. Yeah, it's so fantastic. And I think why I loved this documentary so much and why I felt it was so important to me in my career that I saw it early on was it was taking kind of like taking the photographer the act of being a photographer out of the equation and and her using her ability to educate the children to capture their own stories mm. and giving them agency over their stories instead of her coming in as like a Western white woman trying to photograph this red light district and these children. They just had so much better access than she could ever get and yeah. you really see it in the frames. Yeah, it's, it's a magnificent film and... The film kind of ends on a uh, on an exhibition, doesn't it? With with all these kids' um, photos. Yeah, in, they go to like York, Amsterdam, I think. Oh, Amsterdam. No, maybe. it's Amsterdam. Yeah. I yeah. think it's Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. I think she takes like one one of the kids, the boy. She also kind of recognizes that cycle of poverty as well, and and, and oh yeah, uh, and this is a kind of her way of trying to, uh, you know potentially get these kids out of you know also falling into into the brothel lifestyle and and you know having these yeah. horrendous jobs and there's a few scenes in there where some of the girls are even talking about you know soon I'll be taken um and they're like oh yeah they're like seriously little kids Tiny. they're like nine or they're like ten seven. years old yeah. and they're already being groomed no, it's for, really messed up you know a future in uh, in the brothel industry which is just uh, just horrific it's shocking yeah yeah Hey, speaking of uh, slums, I've got a, a – I had another one on my list, which is kind of slum-based. It's not Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. obviously. Um, no, no. My, my next film is uh, City of God, which is um, a Brazilian film uh, about uh, – pretty much about um, gangs in, in Rio and, uh, and how they yeah. operate. But the, the kind of main protagonist is this young – a uh, kid who's a photographer whose name is Rocket, and I just love the I, I just love this film. Yeah. It's like it's not the happiest of, of films by any means, but it's just such no. a it's such a cracking movie. Oh, it's probably one of the best films ever made, hands down. Yeah, yeah, I reckon you're right. And his character is just awesome. And one of the one of the my favorite bits in the movie is when he becomes a, a, a the, the way he becomes a photographer and how that that all happens. It just really makes me laugh because. He uh, he basically takes some pictures of this uh, like crazy gang that live in his neighborhood, basically. Oh yeah, I rem- yeah I remember the scene. Yeah, <laughs> and he takes them to the 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 leader of this gang, who's this little psychopath, <laughs> says to him, "Get these, take get these photos developed. We want these. We want to have a look at them, you know." And he's like, "Oh, okay." And and he <laughs> he takes the camera, and this guy and the the, the guy says, he says, "I need to get the film from the camera." And the guy says, "No, no, just keep the camera." And that's basically how he becomes the photographer yeah, but he works at a news right. he works at a newspaper and he takes the, he's thinking how the hell am i going to get these developed you know what i've got to do it because these guys are probably going to kill me if i don't yeah they'll and, uh, shoot you. Yeah. and he takes them to the to the photo room at the newspaper where he's working as kind of an intern and uh and and gets the guy to develop them but then they get they kind of get misplaced and they end up on the front page of the newspaper and poor rocket's like yeah, oh my yeah. god they're gonna kill me like rah, rah. But but the opposite happens. This this leader of this crazy gang loves the fact that he's, you know, on the front of the newspaper looking all boss yeah, with his guns and, famous, the, and all the rest of it, and it just starts this <laughs> cycle of events with uh, with Rocket kind of following them around, and you know, it's that's yeah. the, the, the story kind of evolves from 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 there. But um, 
The other nice message, I guess, is that, you know, Rocket is very smart in, in the way that he uses photography to keep him out of that troublesome life and yes. to keep him from being a, a killer and a gang member and all the rest of it. And he, he understands that because the movie really just tells you this vicious cycle of violence and gangs mm. and all the rest of it and even ends with you know, a bunch of young kids talking about beating up another bunch of young kids and it's kind of the message is, you know, this is going to happen all over again. But, um, yeah, yeah, cracking little film. I love but that But one. one thing I also really love about this film is the way it's shot and mm. the way it's colour graded. Oh, yeah. And at the time when it came out, it was really different. Like these really sort of cross-processed looked like, you know, green shadows, super yellow highlights. Yeah. And just the way it's shot with like the camera movements and a lot of handheld and a lot of low angles, it was really shot really differently for that time. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I really remember and love about this film is the way it's shot. Yeah, it's a beauty. I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> this list is going long. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, I remember that movie. It's so good. I got to watch it again. Yeah, get onto it. <laughs> One movie that I didn't rewatch again, but I sort of like refreshed my memory um, was, and I think so many photographers probably know this documentary and may cringe when I say it, <laughs> but next on my list was Finding Vivian Meyer. Basically the premise of the documentary is that, um, you know, sometime in the, in the 2010s, early 2010s, uh, this guy finds like trunk loads of negatives at uh, auction. You know, like if you have a storage facility and you stop paying, mm. they eventually end up taking all your shit to auction because yeah. like it's theirs now. Yeah. So he goes to one of these like, you know, um, auctions and he buys like these huge, you know, crates of negatives. And they're all by this woman, Vivian Meyer, who's completely unknown, who was a, at the time he didn't know, but she was a nanny in Chicago. Yeah. And she, you know, she'd fallen on hard times later in her life and all her shit ended up in this auction. And he buys like a majority of her catalog, which is something like 100,000 negatives, 7,000 unprocessed rolls of color film, color slide film. Wow. And he starts kind of going through them. He sits on them for a while, but he starts going through them and he realizes very quickly that this photographer is very good. And it's all, <laughs> you know, from like the, the, the 60s and the 70s, Chicago, black and white street photography. Cool. And... And it's a good documentary because the documentary kind of follows, you know, it's. It, I think it was made by the guy who bought the negatives. Yeah. And, you know, kind of goes through the story of how he got the negatives, how he kind of figured out, oh, my God, these are actually, like, really amazing. But what happened from there is this – so Vivian Meyer, she she had passed on by the time all this had happened, right? So she's, she's dead and gone. She exploded into the photography world because of this dude and some other – two dudes who had bought some more of her negatives as well. Yeah, right. And they basically like threw her into the stratosphere and she became extremely famous, extremely quick. And these guys started selling her work to galleries, making books, making this documentary film, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. But like dot, 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 who owns the copyright? Yeah. You know what Good I mean? Question. Yeah, because she, she didn't really have any family. I think she had like a first cousin in France or something like that. They eventually found out. But so these guys who had bought these negatives were, you know, cashing in on her work, which they had legally bought the negatives, but that didn't mean they legally bought the copyright. Yeah, right. And so all these like former family members start coming out of the woodwork and cut to like 20, 
I know, like cut to like 2014 or 2016 and there's like a massive lawsuit and blah, blah, blah. But I think they, all parties involved came to an agreement, which, you know, they all signed NDAs and can't talk about it. So (laughs) they had a royalty agreement in place. But what I, why I think this documentary is really interesting is not only because look, her work is quite good. Um, and her story is quite interesting. She was a bit of a an odd bod. She didn't have any kids of her own. She was a nanny. She would just wander the streets, you know, with the kids she took care of, taking street portraits and any of anything really. And the work is quite phenomenal. But I like the documentary because it brings into the forefront of my mind a lot of questions about if someone's passed on and she didn't want her work to ever be seen. That's yeah. one theme in the movie because they talk to, you know, the kids that she took care of and friends of hers and they all say she would be mortified and really angry if she knew all of this was happening. <laughs> okay, the books, Hence the documentary, why she had the seven thousand unprocessed rolls of film, I guess. Yeah, and had never shown anyone anything that she had done, right? Yeah. So it kind of brings for me into a lot of these questions of, okay, well, is that the right thing to do? If she didn't want that as the artist, is it right then for other people to publish her work that she didn't want published? Yeah. And also the fact that these guys who were publishing the work they're not artists, they're not curators. Mm. So they just put out like everything. (laughs) And I think I said to you, Toby, like, how would you feel if I just came and took every photo you'd ever taken and put it out at like fucking Sotheby's? (laughs) You know, like we all have a lot of misses for every hit. There's a miss. But look, if you're going to make millions of dollars from it, I probably wouldn't mind, (laughs) to be honest. No, but but you're dead. Oh, yeah. Well, then then I definitely wouldn't mind if I'm dead. <laughs> but yeah, it kind of brings up all these questions about like, okay, well, okay, curation of your images as a photographer is very important, and how you process your images is very important. Yeah. And they're making these artistic decisions on behalf of her, and they're not artists. Like, they're just not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so a that's one, why it kind of it um, is. A I mean, one. who who was there to sort of tell them that these images were good? They must have had some sort of. Uh, they must have an eye for a, for a good image in, in order to. Well, sort of... a lot of the like I'm like the stuff they put out, they basically put out everything. So right. it, it it really wasn't up to them in the end. Like people would look at and go, "Well, that's good." And a lot yeah. of photographers, like John Meyerowitz, came out and said, "Wow, she's quite amazing." Okay. Um, but then, like when you see the all the contact sheets and and some of the work that they've put out in the book and in the documentary, it's like. Ooh, I don't know if she would want that one in there. And there's nothing special about that. You know what I mean? But then some of them are just like mind-blowing. Some of these street portraits are mind-blowing. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it because it's not only interesting because of her work, it's interesting because of her story and it brings up interesting questions as a photographer. In death, she is getting the fame she never had in life. I'm uncovering an artist. If I'm leaving this giant boulder unturned, it would be a mistake. Of course, she would have hated every minute of it. She would never have let this happen. So the next movie is another documentary. This one is called The Salt of the Earth, and it's um, it's pretty much a, a, a profile on um, Sebastian Salgado, who is, I know one of your um, faves, Mez, given his, his work in black and white, is utterly yep. phenomenal, like just ridiculously. King of black and white. Oh, my God, ridiculously um, good. A truly 
a truly intrinsic and powerful photographer. Yeah, he really is. And the movie kind of it really just takes you through his 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 life's work essentially, and starts mm. off with uh, some of the really famous images he took of of the mines in Brazil. I think it was. Um, yes. You know, with just these muddy muddy kind of you know holes in the ground with these guys just manually lifting like thousands oh just lifting thousands of men yeah lifting who look like rocks ants. and god knows what else but he was at the time exploring um natural environments and the way that that humans fitted into those natural environments and honestly yes. he could not have picked a better subject to do that than those mines because it's it's almost impossible to oh, see yeah. the difference between the rock and the the men working in there and and the people yeah, yeah and the people he he went on to to do a lot of other things as well and i guess became famous from um covering the famine in africa a lot like don mccullen did at the time actually and and taking some mm, incredible mm. shots and really making an effort to uh, bring them to the to the a global audience because if you remember at the time, um, if you're old enough, uh, when the famine was was happening in in Africa, uh, no one really cared in the Western world, and and no. it, it just it just was completely ignored for for years and years and years, despite the fact that many totally. photographers like Salgado and McCullen were there doing this work. And um, and you know it was it was it was not until really you know the, the time of Live Aid and 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 Bob Geldof kind of bringing it to people's attention that it really started to take off and and people sort of understand and see what was happening there. But these guys, these photographers that were out there at the time, were yeah just doing some really important important work. And um, yeah, this 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 movie, Salt of the Earth, is a it's a great portrait of one of the world's most phenomenal. Um, photographers in, in both of our opinions. Yeah, it's a real kind of photographer's documentary. Like with the other kind of like war photography documentaries we've sort of spoken about, kind of anyone can really watch that and really get into it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, a, you know, it's just it, their stories beyond photography. Yeah. Whereas this is like just a really beautiful, you know, um, moving portrait of, of him as a photographer and, and what, you know, pushes him to do what he does. And he's so eloquent in how he speaks. He's so empathetic and 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 he is probably in my top five photographers of all time. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And in terms of black and white, the king, like you said, like just extraordinary. Not just just what he takes, but how he processes (sighs) as well is just... Oh my god! Just beautiful. Like his tonal range is next level. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a thousand eyes, mm. I reckon, like to see what he sees. Totally, it's just incredible. Hundred percent. Another um, photographer for me who aesthetically is just out of this world, like no one else is like him, is Gregory Crudson. And so my next pick is the documentary Gregory Crudson Brief Encounters. I've spoken about him a little bit before. Yeah, but, I was um, say that. Yeah, he's an American photographer who is known for producing large-scale, like, 8 by 10 film uh, prints. Yep. But he, what he shoots is, like, cinematic story scenes. So almost like a diorama but real life. And, and he, the way he sets up every shot is like a full-blown 
movie set. So he'll either be on a soundstage creating sets, designing sets for months and months with production designers. He has a director of photography as well who designs the lighting. Or he's out on location where he's like literally shutting down like small streets in small (laughs) towns for like five days. So he'll each shoot is about five or six days and he'll take five or six plates. That's it. Five or six shots. That's it. And he gets actors like very well-known actors too are in a lot of his shots. But then there's a lot of just like normal kind of people in his work as well. Mm. And the way it's shot, the quality of the like the light, it's so cinematic. It's so beautiful and it's so like mysterious and airy and ethereal and like the stories are elaborate and he says so much in one frame. And this documentary, I think it follows him over about a decade and you really get an amazing behind the scenes look at how he creates each shoot. It's like phenomenal (laughs) that sounds fascinating and he's not like a wanker yeah right do you know what i mean like he's arty and stuff like that but he's not a wanker and he's really open about how he does a lot of things yeah and and he's really open about himself and where a lot of these kind of ideas for his work come from how they stem from his life so if if you haven't seen Brief Encounters, I highly recommend it. I haven't, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick that one on my list for sure. You'll love it. You'll froth so hard. You'll just want to go and shoot like a freaking large format, you know, land camera for the rest of your life. Yeah, I'm gonna shut down King Street in Newtown <laughs> and you know take some shots yeah. of the sunset, looking back at the street. Blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, and he has like cherry pickers with lights on it. Like it's like a full movie oh, set. Shit. Like each. Each, each thing costs about like a million bucks what? to produce. My pictures are about a search for a moment, a perfect moment. Another kind of movie that is very ethereal and dreamlike, kind of like Crudson's photographs, is probably, I think, oh my God, this is like our only like fictional movie on the list. <laughs> the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yay. I love this film. Me too. I love it. I love it. I love it. Some of Ben Stiller's finest work it's funny actually this film because it 100%. did get um a little bit of like well, kind of mixed reviews i guess when it when it came out but as a as a photographer i don't know if it's because we are uh in that world i i just loved it i just thought it was it just yeah. told such a, a a great story you know his his little fantasies and all all, all these mm. little stories that 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 happened throughout the movie are just brilliant. And Sean Penn's little uh, cameo as the uh, <laughs> photographer who's trying to, you know... The photojournalist. <laughs> the photojournalist who's giving him the uh, the, the shot of the... of the uh, to sort of end the uh, period of life magazine. He, he's fantastic, Sean Penn. He's just so funny. Yeah, well, I guess, like, without giving too much away, because I think there, like, there isn't really, like, surprises or anything at the no. end. Like, at the end but it's just a beautiful story about the sort of quote-unquote end of life magazine but Mm. it's sort of like the fictional end of life magazine because life magazine finished in the 70s and then 
I think it came back as a monthly and finished in like 2000 or something. But it's based on this guy, Walter Mitty, who, you know, he works in the negative department and he's sort of in charge of bringing in all the photography negatives and sorting them and stuff like that. And obviously, like, it's set in the 2000s and not many people are shooting negatives anymore. (laughs) But he has this, like, relationship with this photographer who's played by Sean Penn, who's out in the world and very elusive. And he sends back his final frame that he wants to be the final cover of Life magazine, but Walter loses it <laughs> or misplaces it somehow. Negative and the whole story Yeah, negative twenty five. And the whole story is about Walter's journey to find the negative and event and find Sean. Find Sean Penn. Who's I think the name in the movie is Sean. It's yeah, Sean it is. O'Connell yeah, in the movie. Right. Yeah. But he uses like he uses um photographic clues from the role of film that the negative that the frame is missing from mm. he to track down Sean O'Connell in <laughs> like Greenland and then Iceland and stuff. But that doesn't even really sum up the movie because then there's this whole other side to the movie which is like living in La La Land. It is like La La Land in a lot of ways. Like it it goes into his imagination and it's it's almost like an action film the way it's shot yeah. like it's an epic feature yeah it really is and it's 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 very much the story of an introvert recluse in a way as well and his struggle with the world yeah. and you know there's a there's a moment where he i think he says something about the fact that he's never been anywhere remarkable he's he's on a dating website yeah. or something and he's he's yeah. got nothing to fill his profile like yeah he's like where have you been the dating app guy Todd is like where have you been in your life and he's like phoenix yeah. And he's like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. But that changes in the movie and that's sort of the adventure you go on. But one thing that has always stayed with me from this movie is this scene. And and look, I'm not really giving away anything, but I sort of am. But like, you'll watch it. It's awesome. It's not going to ruin it for you. Where, you know, Walter finally meets up with Sean, with Sean O'Connell, the photojournalist, and he's you know, hiding out in the Himalayas and he's trying to get this elusive shot of a snow leopard. And and um, he's looking through the frame and he shows Walter, look through the frame and there's the snow leopard. And then Sean sits back and he doesn't take the photo of the snow leopard. And Walter's like, when are you going to take the shot? And I actually recorded, because I rewatched it this morning, I actually recorded the audio. So here it is. When are you going to take it? Sometimes I don't. If I like a moment, I mean me, personally, I don't like to have the distraction of the camera. I just want to stay in it. Stay in it? right here that moment where sean sean o'connell sean penn is saying sometimes i just don't take the photo i want to really experience it and the camera is a distraction it fucking kills me i love it (laughs) because i think good photography is all about when to not take the photo yeah yeah, absolutely. Especially in this day and age where everyone is like, click, click, bang, bang, bang. Huh? Hey. And you know what I mean? Mm, I do. <laughs> it's like too much. And so I think photography has become more about when to not shoot rather than when to shoot. And I don't know, I think about that line all the time. 
So that's kind of like our list, but we all, because like you and I can never make like great decisions. We had some like honorable mentions. We did. Which we're just going to shoot. Yeah, we're just going to shoot out the names. But what's some of your honorable mentions, Tobes? Well, one I want to mention is a fun one, which is Rear Window, which is an Alfred Hitchcock classic, which is not specifically about photography at all, but it is about a photographer who's uh, who's injured. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a classic Hitchcock so definitely see that if you haven't Jimmy Stewart magic yeah it's a good one and uh, I had some other I guess journalist uh, war yeah you have like some very (laughs) yeah I'm sensing a theme here with you I know I need to take a good hard look at myself but there were there were two in particular one was the killing fields which is a tells the story of um, amazing film Pol Pot's year zero cleansing campaign in Cambodia in the in the early 1970s uh incredible film um roland joffe was the director of that one uh another one similar yeah. kind of thing uh, aussie film actually um uh, year of living dangerously which stars a very young and very handsome good old mel gibson yeah very young and handsome mel gibson sort of um pre and very aussie like very aussie accent well yeah he's playing a journalist from the australian broadcasting uh not corporation but something else i can't remember what it was at the time but uh Basically covering um, the troubles in Indonesia in the 60s, I think that was. Ah, yes. And you had a couple as well, didn't you, Miz? Yeah, so mine are kind of funny. So this is not, I don't think it's a great movie, but it's just too weird, like, not to see. So it's called (laughs) Fur, an imaginary portrait of Diane Arbus. And, like, most people know who Diane Arbus is. She was an amazing photographer who was very well known for shooting, like, freaks and twins and all this kind of stuff. And it's, yeah, it's a totally made-up story about her and Robert Downey Jr. is in it and it's sort of like she is living in this apartment and she gets the sense that someone creepy is kind of living upstairs and it's Robert Downey Jr. and he's like a man that has like all this long hair all over his body <laughs> and they start this like illicit uh, this illicit love affair oh my it's god so weird but it's actually kind of good i reckon <laughs> i totally recommend um watching it but fun fact <laughs> diane arbus's diane arbus's husband <laughs> was the psychiatrist on MASH. Do you ever watch MASH? How could you not watch MASH? Yeah, I did, but I can't remember you know, the like, psychiatrist. Yeah, you know like when Hawkeye starts kind of going downhill and he's always talking to the psychiatrist? Oh, yeah, yeah. With the curly hair, yeah, the Jewish-looking yeah. dude? Yeah. yeah. That He was married to Diane Arbus and he was a studio photographer and that's how she got into photography. No way. Random fact of the day. I know. But my other, I've got three more. My other ones are Everlasting Moments. Really briefly, it's a Swedish film. I think, oh my God, set in like the 40s, I want to say, or mm-hmm. the 50s, um, where this woman wins a, a camera in a lottery and she decides to keep it and she's in this, like, really abusive relationship and it's sort of about, you know, her relationship with her husband and her, you know, finding photography and everyone telling her not to do it. It's phenomenal. Check it out. And then another kind of fun one, which I saw on Fox, is Kodachrome. And it's... Um, oh, yeah. It's got... Oh, my God. What's that freaking actor's name? It's, Who's um, in it? It's... Um... Ed... Ed, Ed, Harris. Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Ed Harris 
plays a photographer who's dying and him and his estranged son, he like reaches out to his estranged son and he's like, I have all these rolls of Kodachrome and they're only developing them for another week yeah. and then they'll never develop them again and we need to travel here together to do it. And it's kind of about their journey. Yeah, that's a good one. So it's not really about photography, but it's kind of about their relationship. No, that's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. And then my last one, which is like not about photography at all, is... <laughs> Star Wars. Oh, so sorry. It's I know. Star Wars, no. It's called Control and it's the uh, film about Joy Division, the yeah. band Joy Division, and it is by Anton Corbin, who is a photographer. Yeah. And I, I picked it because it is shot so well. It's all shot in black and white. He is an amazing photographer and I think this was his first foray into film. And the way he shoots it is just like a photographer would shoot a film. Yeah. It's better than any cinematographer could do. It's Ooh. phenomenal. It, just to check it out for that simple fact that it's shot by a photographer yeah. and in black and white. Well, you can hundred percent. You should save that one because I reckon we can do an episode on cinematography as well because. Um, oh, hundred percent. There's a lot I love to talk about there, and, and yeah. Oh my god, there is. But you're right. That's a that's a lovely looking film, and it's a good it's a good film as well if you. Like us and love your music and love your photography at the, at the same time. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah, it's but like a double whammy. Just to, yeah. just to finish, we got wind today of a new um, movie coming out about a... Australian. Australian, Australian movie, film. indeed, uh, uh, which is photography-related, called Hearts and Bones, I believe it's called. Is that right? Hearts of Bones, I believe. Hearts of Bones. Hearts okay. of Bones. There you go. Mm. Um, and starring my old neighbour, Hugo Weaving, who uh, obviously you all know from The Matrix. Good old Hughes. Many other fantastic films that he's been in. And, um, yeah, what's the story, Maze? I can't quite remember what the story of this one was. It's basically he – it's a fictional film and he plays a sort of conflict photographer who uh, 15 years prior had photographed uh, some massacres in South Sudan. That's and right. he comes back to Australia and 15 years later he's putting together an exhibition and a book of these massacres. And the story is about how a man, a Sudanese man who's living in Australia – reaches out to him and asks him, please, I don't want you to show these photos. My family was killed in this massacre. And the story, the movie is basically about how they form a relationship and how they kind of deal with these conflicting views that they have. But also at the same time, Hugo Weaving has clearly got post-traumatic stress disorder from his time as as a conflict photographer and it looks really really interesting yeah, it does. and a really yeah and a great sort of australian narrative yeah. you know i i can't wait for it it's out like as a cinema release on through itunes yeah so it's like about 20 bucks or something at the moment. So, But you can wait till it comes out for rent. So I can't wait to see it. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I don't think it'd be too far away because I think they, they're um, releasing things a little quicker at the moment because of this whole COVID thing that we have not really mentioned today for a change, which is good. But um, Yay! Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm hanging to see that one too. But I have, oh God, I've missed going to the movies, I have to say. But um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's good to reminisce about all these old flicks. So hopefully, you guys can, um, if you haven't seen them, or you you may you, you definitely Get should. And it. if you have seen them, hopefully, we've triggered you to, you know, maybe tune in again because I've watched all of those that I mentioned several times and never never not enjoyed them. So um, yeah, give you something to yeah, do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, remainder of this lockdown, which yeah. hopefully isn't too much longer. Yeah, and I think it will. Ha- I think it will give a bit of inspiration to people as well. To oh be yeah, honest. 100%. yeah, I, I really think it will. Definitely. Yeah. And that's what so, we're all oh my about. god, that's like hours. That's 
that's hours of, of viewing pleasure for everyone. Yeah, definitely. There's a big binge for you to have there. So enjoy and get the popcorn out. And yeah. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going now. I'm going to yeah, go watch point, that McCullen. Me too. I'll, I'll see you later. Yeah. Ciao. See ya. Click Click Bang Bang, a photography podcast, is produced by Meredith Schofield and Toby Farage. Hey, that's us. <laughs> it is us. And I also do the editing. And Mez, you look after the engineering side of things, I guess. Yeah, like sort of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, kind of, sort of. Yeah. And uh, there's a bunch of other people who have kind of helped us to get this thing up and away. Indeed. Like our amazing branding was designed by dingdingding.co, a.k.a. Your Better Half Tobes. Definitely my better half. And the fabulous music you're hearing in the background let's just have a little bit more of a listen there yeah that's Mm. it composed by our good friend simon filiuzzi a legend so good how good is that music tobe so good so so good so good and look remember you can subscribe to this podcast everywhere yep send us your comments and ideas for the show and please don't forget to rate us it really helps others discover us you can check us on the socials at ccbb podcast we'll see you soon see ya (laughs) 